Please join me for a word of prayer. Oh God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been out of our church home for going on four months now. One week was a little bit exciting. Uh, the first month, a bit of an adventure. Uh, finding a place to gather for our Sunday, for our Christmas Eve services and uh, the, uh, the local synagogue. A little bit of energy, a little bit of excitement for that first uh, couple of months. January rolled around and for me it was just a, an exercise in perseverance. We were told that February, that would be it. We're back in then. And now as uh, we're into the second week of February and our temporary dislocation has begun to feel a little bit more like a permanent relocation, I feel just a little bit tired, a little bit worn out. Our staff is a little tired, having made plans and changed plans any number of times. And I imagine some of you are a little bit tired and worn out of, uh, this, uh, of this drill as well. However, lest this become a pity party, it's helpful to remember that our recent trials are, are in no way unique and that God's people have often been disappointed and often felt discouraged and often felt tired and worn out. And so perhaps this morning, some of you, for reasons unrelated to what I just recounted, are feeling tired and worn out. The Bible is not unfamiliar with this human condition. And the Bible has a lot to tell us, a lot to say to people who are tired and worn out. Second Chronicles, in particular, the book of Chronicles, is written to the people of God who are tired and worn out. Allow me just a brief recap of last week to set the stage for the author of the book of Chronicles. Although the book is in the first third of your Bible, it's actually the last writ book written chronologically. It's written around the year 400 B.C. And during that time, a small trickle of God's people had begun to make the journey back. They'd previously been conquered, their homeland razed, all the symbols of their national identity destroyed. They had been sent into exile, into Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Those are the characters from that era. And now, 75 years later, not 75 months, not four months, 75 years later, God's people begin to trickle back to their homeland. And they find their homeland is just a shell of what it once was. All the symbols of their national identity are gone. Uh, they are just a shell of the people that they were once were. And they are tired. They are worn out. This is a book that is written during that time, and it is written to those people. And it's a book that's written to inspire hope in God's tired people. And the author inspires hope, the chronicler, and that's how I will refer to him. The chronicler inspires hope in God's people by telling them stories of their ancient history, by telling them stories of God's faithfulness in the past, by telling them stories of God's faithful leaders in the past, in particular in our chapter, Solomon, one of God's faithful leaders. As if to say, do you need hope for today? Are you tired today? Then take inspiration from God's faithfulness in the past. 
Do you need lessons for today? Then learn the lessons from your ancient past. In your past, you will find inspiration, and hope for the present, and guidance for the future. So let's turn to that passage that was read for us so well. 2 Chronicles chapter 2. The author presents Solomon primarily as a worshiper. We're first introduced to him in chapter 1 of 1 Chronicles, and when we are introduced to him, he is leading his people in worship. Now in chapter 2, he, is, uh, he sets about the task of building a temple to facilitate God's people in worship. The Bible and the next three or four chapters, really uh, the, the focus of the next three chapters, 2 Chronicles 2, 3, 4, really account tell the story of the building of the temple for the people of God. And I've been thinking a lot about buildings these days. And I think we can learn some helpful principles from Solomon from this chapter. I think some of these points will be, I think will be specifically applicable to our current circumstances, but in general, more broadly applicable to whatever you're going through, should you be tired this day. And so the first question that I want to address is, now why does Solomon set about the task of building this temple? Is he some uh, prehistoric, superstitious worshiper who believes that God lives in a building, that a big building is necessary for a big God, and that God is going to be somehow some sort of localized deity who only resides in a specific place? No, that's not what Solomon believes uh, at all. In chapter, chapter 2, verse 5, he says, The house that I am to build will be great, for God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house? Since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him. Solomon knows full well that no house, however big, however grand, could not uh, contain God. So why does Solomon build a house? Excuse me. Why does he build a temple? Verse 4 captures the motivation for his building plans. Behold, I'm to build a house for the name of the Lord and dedicate it to him for, and you see a list of ritual observances, the burning of incense of sweet spices before him for regular arrangements of showbread, for burnt offerings, mornings and evenings, and on the Sabbath, new moons and appointed feasts and festivals. What are these? These are the regular, the ritual patterns of worship for the people of God. Just like you and, and I have patterns of worship. We gather together on Sunday morning to worship God. So they had their own ritual patterns of worship. A little bit more involved than ours, but still a pattern nonetheless. Solomon builds a temple primarily for utilitarian purposes. He builds a temple so that it may be used, used for the worship of God. Now that does not mean that the building is going to be sparse or bare or simply just a warehouse, a, a gathering place. No, it's going to be a beautiful building because God is a great and beautiful God. But how he builds is distinct from why he builds. And why does he build? He builds for strictly utilitarian purposes, to allow the people of God the ritual practice of their worship. But Solomon has a problem, and it's the same problem that the original hearers had, and it's the same problem that you and I have. Their problem was and is they don't have a place. There is no temple 
in Solomon's writing, it had not been built. For the original audience, it had been torn to the ground. And there is no place for the people of God to gather for the ritual practice of worship. So what does Solomon do? A great line, chapter 1, chapter, uh, chapter 2 of verse 1. Solomon purposed to build a temple. He set his mind to it. Solomon is known for his great wisdom, set his phenomenal mental capacities to the building of the temple. And in his mind, he laid out all that would be needed for the completion of the temple before one nail was driven. Solomon is wise enough to know that he doesn't know all the answers. So Solomon, in his wisdom, seeks help from some unknown name, Hiram, the king of, or Tyre, the king of Hiram. He seeks the aid, send me a man skilled to work in gold and silver and bronze. And finally, though not recorded in this passage, God provides. At the end of chapter 2, not recorded in your leaflet, the king of Tyre, or Tyre, the king of Hiram, answers Solomon's request. He sends him all he needs. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Solomon begins to build. Chapter 3 and 4 record his constructions. Chapter 5, verse 1, all the work that Solomon did for the house of the, of the Lord was finished. He completed his work. And in chapter 6 and 7, the people of God gather in the building for its intended purpose. They gather for their ritual practice of worship. So here is a summary of this passage. With apologies for uh, the uh, overuse of alliteration, Solomon purposed to build a place of to enable a pattern of praise, ritual celebrations. And as Solomon purposed, God provided. I think that is a, a good summary of this passage. Solomon purposed to build a place to enable the pattern of praise, and God provided. Now let me make a couple of points of application from that summary. I think some of these points are specifically applicable to our situation, but I hope are generally applicable to all of us, regardless of our situations. The first principle is this. The praise of God is the remedy for the tired people of God. The praise of God is the remedy for the tired people of God. Of God. The prophet Isaiah says, In returning and praise shall be your rest. Solomon, as I mentioned, is set out for us in the book of Chronicles primarily as a worshiper. This is the way that the chronicler wants us to remember this life. He is primarily known as a worshiper, first leading his people in worship, then facilitating a place for the people of worship. So the moral of the story is clear. The hope for God's tired people is to return to him in praise and worship. God is the fuel that your life is designed to run on. And without the fuel, your life does not run well. When we return to God in praise and worship, the problems that we face 
just seem less problematic because God is bigger than your problems. When the tired people of God return to God in praise, we feel less weary because God is capable of sustaining us through whatever it is. When the sad people of God return to God in praise and worship, they are not so sad anymore because God's joy is sustain, can sustain them through whatever it is they face. Praise is the remedy for the tired people of God. I want to unpack that word praise and worship for us because it's a very... Uh, it's a well-used but ill-defined word in the Christian vocabulary. What does it mean to praise? We have a great definition for it in Psalm 20, the psalm that we read together. Look at verse 7. Some put their trust in chariots. Some put their trust in horses. But we put our trust in the name of the Lord our God. The word trust there is the word halal. It's the same word we get the word hallelujah from. It's the word that is translated any number of ways, one of which is trust, one of which is praise, one of which is boast. So if you were to look at other translations of this psalm, you may find any one of those words inserted there. Some praise horses, some praise chariots, some boast in their horses, in their chariots. But we boast in the name of the Lord our God. That word boast is helpful for me, because I know what it is to boast. This king, this psalm is written uh, by a king leading his, his army out into war. And you can picture a brave heart type scene when the king is giving his final rally cry to his troops just before they charge. And the king, standing in front of his army, gives the army their final charge. And this is what he says. Our confidence today, our boast is not in our horses, not in the size of our army, not in our chariots. Our boast is in God. All of us boast. All of us have confidence in tomorrow because we boast in something today. It's part of the human condition. We all seek our confidence from someplace else. And what, are you, what is your source of confidence for tomorrow? Why will tomorrow be okay? Is it because any number of reasons? Wealth, your skill, your hard work, your good behavior, any number of reasons. What, are you, what do you boast in today for your confidence in tomorrow? Ultimately, the Christian boasts in the Lord. That is his boast. Tomorrow will be okay. Why? Not because of anything I offer or I possess, but because of God. Christians boast in the Lord. And that is what it means to praise God, to boast in him, to make our... I've said enough on that point. We all boast in something. The Christian boasts in God. That's our first principle. The second principle leads into that because most of us simply are not very good at boasting in God. We do not do it very naturally. I cannot recall the last time I had a conversation with one of my peers or one of my family members in which I told them, look, guys, God is just so good, so great. Let me tell you about him. I just don't naturally boast in God. I bet the same is true for you, which leads us to our second principle. The second principle is that praise requires a pattern. 
Again, recall, why did Solomon build his temple? He built his temple, a place of worship, for utilitarian purposes in order to facilitate the ritual practice of worship. Sabbaths, festivals, new moons, etc. These are all ritual practices of worship. Listen to what one old English theologian said. He said, the church should be pardoned for its monotony. The church is blamed for compelling its members to ritually declare themselves as miserable sinners, which is a portion of our old prayer book. But it knew very well that if we did not do it ritually, we would not do it at all. That's a great quote. It is simply suggesting that most of us are not very good at boasting on, about God. We do not naturally remember that God is great. We do not naturally remember that we need his pardon. We do not naturally remember Jesus' tender mercy, his sacrificial death, and his love for you and me. Yes, you could worship by yourself. Everything that we are doing here, you could do by yourself in the confines of your home. You really don't need church. The only problem is if you are left to your own devices, you don't do it. If you missed church this last Sunday, just think, how many times did you think about God? Probably not very many. I know the same is true for me. Without a pattern of praise, we simply don't do it. If we do not do these things ritually, we do not do these things at all. So why does Solomon build a temple? Why do churches need a space? Because a place of worship facilitates a pattern of worship. And if we do not have a pattern of worship and praise, we are not likely to worship or praise at all. Third principle. Third principle is that God's purposes are often brought into fruition by God's purposeful people. Again, Solomon purposed to build a temple for God. The attitude of let go and let God was foreign to Solomon and frankly very foreign to most of the Bible. God's purposes are often accomplished by purposeful people. Let me address our specific situation. We find ourselves facing two significant questions regarding our place of worship. First is a repair to the facility allowing us to return. The second is the renewal of our existing lease, which will come to a conclusion in a few short months. I want you to know that your leadership is working purposefully towards those ends, intentionally. They are setting their minds, their imagination, and their will to that end. Your church leadership is work, is, will meet on Monday morning with our host, Convergence, to explore ways that we can exert some pressure in order to compel the power company towards quicker action and greater attention to our concern, enabling the repair to the long-term lease and the long-term hope for our space, we have a real estate team that is actively engaged with convergence to secure a more favorable lease, hopefully providing for greater autonomy, more security, and more free use of the space we normally worship in. Further, your vestry has led an initiative to both raise funds and set aside savings for a more permanent home. That fund has doubled in the past year. 
thanks to their leadership and to your generosity, just as Solomon purposed to build. So your leadership has purposed to secure a church home. God's purposes are often realized by purposeful people. And this specific application is, or this specific example is generally uh, applicable. The attitude of let go and let God is relatively unknown. Unknown in the scriptures. Unknown in the heroes of our faith. A better attitude is captured by that of St. Augustine who said, pray like it depends upon God, then work as if it all depends upon you. Solomon purposed. God's purposes are usually brought to fruition by God's purposeful people. Last principle. When God's people pursue God's purposes, God usually provides. Underline that word usually, there's no guarantees in life, but I have found this to be true. When God's people pursue his purposes, God usually provides. I can't recall if I've told this little anecdote. Bear with me if I have. When Jennifer and I were first married, we were thinking about our family, considering having children. An older gentleman uh, gave us some advice. It was advice that came from his own experience. He said this to Jennifer and to me. He said, have children because God provides. And we have found that to be true. Have children, God provides. And God has blessed us with a large family. And with a large family come all the expenses of a large family. We just graduated one from braces with two in the pipeline. <laughs> I'm never sure how we make it through each month. But we have found this adage to be true. That when God's people pursue his purposes, God provides. And I don't know how. But I know he does. And I believe the same will be true for us. I trust that as our leadership purposes to secure a place to enable a pattern of worship that God will provide for us. The chronicler wrote to a tired people, a worn out people, and he told them a story from their ancient past to guide them and to give them hope. It's a story of God's people purposing to build a place in order to facilitate the praise of God. Will we learn the lesson that the chronicler seeks to teach us? That praise is the remedy for the tired people of God. That praise requires a pattern. None of us are spiritually adept or attuned enough to praise God without a regular pattern of worship. Try it, it won't work. 
that the God's purposes are usually achieved through God's purposeful people. And finally, that God usually provides, usually provides when God's people pursue his will. These are good lessons. These are good lessons for us. I pray we learn them. Let's close in prayer. From our gospel hymn, Be still, my soul, that God doth undertake to guide the future as he hath the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious things shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and the winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Amen.